Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. I'm Myung-Hee Lee, a postdoctoral fellow at the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies at the University of Copenhagen. Today, we invite Professor Song Min Cho, a professor of the Asia-Pacific Center for Security Studies, an academic institute of the U.S. Department of Defense based in Hawaii, for his expertise on China's complicated relationships with North and South Koreas. South Korean presidential election ended and the Conservative Party candidate Yoon Suk-yeol won the election. Under the current progressive Moon Jae-in administration, the foreign policy was strategic ambiguity, maintaining the alliance relationship with the U.S. while continuing its trade partnership with China. Professor Cho, what do you think about the incoming Yoon Suk-yeol government's foreign policy? How will it change? And if it changes, to what direction? Yes, the Yoon camp during the campaign, they have already made it public that they changed South Korea's foreign policy from strategic ambiguity to strategic clarity, that they made clear that if the candidate Yoon is elected, which he was, the South Korean government will emphasize the U.S.-South Korea alliance and revive all the activities that were downplayed during the Moon Jae-in administration and then also present principled approach to China, quoting their own words. They say the issues in security or politics should not get in the way of economic trade and commercial relationship, meaning that they demand the security issues should not invite China's economic retaliation. That was the biggest challenge from China over South Korea. And the incoming Yun government will take a tougher position against China. But experts concerned that if South Korea can really afford to face China's economic retaliation. So that will be the point that we are going to observe. So how would you describe the relationship between South Korea and China? Can you briefly explain to our audience what significant events have happened between the two countries for past 10 years. So the candidate Yoon Suk-yeol has been very critical of the Moon Jae-in government's submissive attitude toward China. So from the conservative perspective, the Moon Jae-in government was not really saying what it has to say about China's unfair treatment of South Korea. So previously, the conservative Park Geun-hye government requested the deployment of the U.S. high-tech defense system in response to North Korea's continued military provocations. But China had a problem with that decision because they argue that the U.S. defense system's radar can detect China's military activities. So they have been opposing this idea, but Park Geun-hye made the decision anyway because of North Korea's provocation. And then that causes China's economic retaliation they practically punish South Korean companies that are operating in China. And also China banned Chinese people's tourism to South Korea, which caused a lot of loss for the tourism industry in South Korea. 
so that's what happened before the Moon Jae-in government came into office. And then Moon Jae-in government famously announced three no policies, meaning that the Moon Jae-in government will not have any more deployment of the U.S. defense system. And second, South Korea will not join the U.S. missile defense system. And third, South Korea will not pursue trilateral alliance with the U.S. and Japan. And then the conservative group found it very unfair. It is an unfair retaliation and treatment from China. So that's why the Yun conservative camp was arguing that they are going to reverse the three no policies. So the Moon Jae-in government tries to have a peaceful engagement with China. In time, in South Korea, the anti-China sentiment was on the rise during Moon Jae-in administration. Can you explain what happened? President Moon Jae-in visited China, and then out of 10 meals, he and his team alone ate eight meals, meaning that the Chinese leaders did not really share their time to spend with President Moon Jae-in. Many South Korean people take it as an insulting gesture. And also there was a kimchi incident that to, to date, experts don't really understand why, but somehow Chinese citizens and the Chinese netizens in the online space argue that kimchi originated from Sutran province. And many of the audience may know that Korean people have great pride in kimchi. And then the state-affiliated media Global Times also ran the series to claim that kimchi originated from China. So that also caused a lot of a negative response from the South Korean people. So all these events accumulate during the Moon Jae-in government to the point that so many South Korean people end up having a very negative view about China. Okay, I see. So those incidents really led South Korean people to have negative views to China. Then they are concerned about Moon Jae-in government's cooperative policies to China. Then my question is that just the issue of the Moon Jae-in progressive government or the conservative government also had some cooperative gestures to China. It was not only the progressive Moon Jae-in government, but also the conservative Park Geun-hye government before Moon was also trying to cooperate with China. For example, as soon as she was elected as the president, candidate Park, even before inauguration, sent her special envoy to China before Washington. And after inauguration, she made a traditional trip to Washington. Usually on the way back, a South Korean president stopped by in Tokyo to meet with Japanese leaders. But she skipped Japan and she visited China again. So to that extent, from the beginning, it was clear that the conservative Park Geun-hye government values its relationship with China a lot. And it was the most vividly displayed when President Park attended the 70th commemoration event of the end of the World War II that was hosted in Beijing. So she was the only U.S. ally leader who stood up next to Xi Jinping and Putin. So to that extent, even Conservative Park was trying to have a friendly relationship with China. The conventional wisdom is that conservative government is more hawkish to China, whereas the progressive government, the Moon Jae-in government, is more 
dovish to China, but China is a largest trading partner to South Korea. So both administrations cannot ignore China. But Yoon Suk-yeol, during his campaign rallies, he promised that he will host more THAAD missiles in South Korea. And he also mentions about multilateral alliance relationship between South Korea, Japan, and the U.S. What do you think about that? Is that possible? I think that's the direction that the Yoon Suk-yeol government will do. There are several steps that the incoming government can take to that direction. For example, the U.S. high-tech missile defense system that we call THAAD here, some batteries are already deployed to South Korea. They are already there in South Korean territory, but the operation has not been fully normalized because of the protest from the local residents. So whenever the U.S. forces and South Korean forces try to bring in some military assets to operate the THAAD system and also the other equipments, there are always uh, local protesters to get in the way. So the THAAD for military operation, it is already in operation, but it has not been fully operated with the supportive equipments. So the first step that UN government can do is to fully normalize the THAAD site, which is already set up there. And then additionally, the UN government may request additional deployment. So normalizing what we already have doesn't have to be very provocative to China. So China may not react to such measures. But the next step, requesting additional deployment from the U.S., may invite China's reaction. And that will be the testing point for the UN government, how far the UN government is willing to take the risk of China's retaliation. And above, we can say similar thing about multilateral. Here we are talking about trilateral cooperation between U.S., Japan, and South Korea. They can start from military exchange, some gathering for the purpose of meeting itself. So they gather to talk about issues and they gather to talk about the future military plan and so on. So as long as the three militaries from the three countries, U.S., Japan, South Korea, they don't take military exercise or military actions in the sensitive area like Taiwan Strait or East China Sea, where China and Japan have a territorial dispute. Then Chinese will say that, well, we are not supposed to do something provocative only because you guys are gathering. Just uh, the initial meeting can be the first step that UN government can take and then argue, this is what we are doing to enhance our trilateral cooperation. But again, we have to see how far the UN government is willing to bring this relationship. How can you explain the changing relationship between South Korea and China? What factors motivate South Korea to be cooperative or confrontational with China? South Korean government, in the end, they end up trying to have a friendly relationship with China. So it is a structural problem. So it is not the problem of agency, whether you are conservative or progressive, it doesn't matter. Because of the structural constraints, South Korean governments has uh, not many options other than trying to maintain cooperative relationship. So in my view, there are three structural dilemmas that shape South Korea's position vis-a-vis China. First is, of course, economic relationship. 
South Korea's economy is highly dependent upon Chinese market. So China is the top trading partner to South Korea. It accounts for 25% of South Korea's trade, just to make a point through comparison. So China is also a significant trading partner to Japan as well. Similarly, China also accounts for about 23% of Japan's trade in 2019. But South Korea's economy is much more dependent upon trade. About 75% of South Korea's trade takes about the 75% of the country's GDP, whereas Japan only rely on trade for 25% of GDP. So South Korea's higher dependency on Chinese economy. And we know that China weaponizes other countries' dependency on its own market. So South Korea is vulnerable to China's coercive economic statecraft. So that's the first structural dilemma. And second, South Korea has a North Korea problem that to resolve North Korea's nuclear threats, South Korea has to rely on China because China believes an influence over Pyongyang, or at least it has a close line of communication with Pyongyang. So to make progress on North Korea issue, South Korea has to maintain close relationship with Beijing. And also from longer term perspective, if one day South Korea moves toward unification process, then South Korea also needs China's approval. Not many South Korean people really expect South China will be proactively support South Korea to lead the unification in the future. But South China can make the unification process really hard. For example, by sending in PLA troops or by disagreeing to the unification process. So to draw friendly response from China, South Korea wants to maintain some stable relationship. So North Korea is another structural dilemma that Japan, Australia, or any other US allies do not have a unique problem to South Korea. And third, South Korean people, ironically, ironically because South Korean people have a deep faith and confidence in the alliance with the US. So relatively, some South Koreans, and clearly the Moon Jae-in government officials, believe that they have more time and resources to invest in cultivating relationship with China, precisely because they have confidence in the alliance. So that is kind of a balanced approach for those people. But the problem is South Koreans' intention is not always perceived as intended by outside observers like Washington and Tokyo. They see that South Korea is moving too close to China. So South Korea is becoming pro-China actor. So that kind of misperception is spreading. There are three structural dilemmas, economy, North Korea, and then balanced approach to China. So you talk a little bit about North Korea. So what about North Korea? How has the China-North Korea relationship evolved? The conventional wisdom is that they have been allies from the Cold War era, but is that true? Do they have any sources of divergence? From outside, the China-North Korea seems to have very strong alliance. But if we take a close look, it also fluctuated. So for example, during Hu Jintao era, the relationship was very stable. So the Hu Jintao administration from 2009 to 2013 was trying to mediate the confrontational relationship between North Korea and South Korea by hosting six-party talks. 
But generally, China was in favor of North Korea. China was、uh, protective of North Korea's position. That seemed to change after Xi Jinping took power in 2013. I just、uh, mentioned before, President Park from South Korea was trying really hard to have a close relationship with China. Maybe because it worked, the Xi Jinping government spent much more time with South Korean government. For example, Xi Jinping met with President Park and President Moon for six times between 2013 and 2017. So while Xi Jinping met with South Korean president for six times, he never met with Kim Jong Un. He did not invite Kim Jong Un, or he didn't visit North Korea to meet with Kim Jong Un. So. That already made a big contrast, which shows how China seems to value South Korea,、uh, its relationship with South Korea over China-North Korea relationship. And then in 2017, China-North Korea relationship seems to head to its、uh, lowest point. It hits the ground. What I mean by that is, 2017 was a dramatic year that Kim Jong Un regime kept testing its、uh, missile capabilities and nuclear weapons. It tested ICBM, the long-range missile that could theoretically reach the U.S. continent, and also it tested nuclear weapons. So the Trump administration warned that Kim Jong Un, if you keep doing this, North Korea will be met with fire and fury. And then there are some testimonies that at the time the Trump administration was really considering military actions against North Korea. Chinese leaders were very worried about the situation. This time, it looked real that Washington was likely to take some military action that China cannot really control. So China started to join the sanctions and criticize Kim Jong Un. And then Pyongyang also responded very furiously in the state media. There was a comment that Beijing is dancing to the tunes of Washington. So basically, China is only play take side with Washington. So in 2017, the relationship was really bad. The Chinese government also warned that if Kim Jong Un keeps doing such provocative actions, then China will not rescue North Korea if there is a war because of North Korea's action. And in 2018, the all trend suddenly reversed. So Kim Jong Un met with South Korean President Moon Jae-in, and then Kim Jong Un also announced to meet with President Trump in Singapore. And then only then Xi Jinping invited Kim Jong Un to China. And then from 2018,、uh, Kim Jong Un and Xi Jinping they met for four times, while Xi Jinping did not meet President Moon Jae-in. And also, China renewed its、uh, defense treaty with North Korea. And also in the United Nations, China proposed to release、really、ease the sanction against North Korea. So there has been some trend that sometimes China was very supportive, sometimes. Distancing itself from North Korea, moving closer to South Korea, and then now China is becoming protective of North Korea again. Let's talk more about North Korea's latest military provocations. What did they do this year? So, within January only, within one month, North Korea tested eleven missile launches. So, eleven missile tests within a month is the record again. So, in our memory. North Korea's popular image is that it just keeps firing missiles. They have been always doing that. What is significant this year is that again the frequency that within a month that they could do this, which means that they start to accelerate the missile test again. And secondly, and more significantly, 
they start to develop new technology. So before, the focus of missile test was to extending the range of missiles arrival, meaning that North Korea tries to shoot the missile as far as it can so that the missile can reach the U.S. continent. But this year, they claim that they achieve so-called hypersonic glide movement, meaning that the missile does not have to really fly high altitude. It can reach the target under the low altitude, meaning that the U.S. radar system will have hard time to detect the new type of missiles that travel at a low altitude. So this means that the U.S. military missile defense system is much more vulnerable to North Korea's new missile technology. So that's why North Korea's missile test is receiving uh, new attention from the international community. It's very concerning. So what is going to happen in 2022? What is your forecast in the security dynamics surrounding the Korean Peninsula and in East Asia more broadly? Let's talk about North Korea again. So last year in January, the Kim Jong-un government announced that they are going to focus on military development again after blaming the U.S. and South Korea for non-cooperation that they claim. And Kim Jong-un announced that they're going to achieve this uh, hypersonic glide technology. And also he announced that he's going to resume long-range missile tests and also strengthen nuclear deterrence, all imply that North Korea will conduct ICBM, the long-range missile test, and then the nuclear test again. Those were the red line from the U.S. government perspective. Well, you may do some short-range missile tests or other military provocations, but no long-range missile tests and then nuclear tests. Kim Jong-un last year announced that he's going to do that. And then this year's missile test of the hypersonic technology strongly signals that he's going to ICBM and nuclear test. Then the U.S. will be in a position that it cannot afford to not react. The U.S. has to react. And then fortunately or unfortunately for some people who disagree with the Yun government's policy, the Yun government is ready to work with the U.S. to enhance its security defense posture against North Korea. So in a nutshell, North Korea is highly likely to scale up its military provocations. And unlike the Moon Jae-in government, the Yun government will take the action that match with North Korea's enhanced capabilities. So I see there will be an escalation of tension, which may be necessary that we cannot just let North Korea keep developing its own military capabilities while we sit idle. Thank you. I have a last quick question. So for South Korea's perspective, it needs to deter North Korea from developing missiles and these provocative actions. But at the same time, it doesn't want to provoke China and maintain its trade partnership with China as well. So what could be a better stance the South Korean government can take to balance these two different very hard issues? So the question is, North Korea will continue to conduct military provocation, improve its military capabilities. And then the UN administration already announces that it is going to make uh, parallel efforts to match with North Korea's expanded military capabilities. One idea is to have more the U.S. debt system into South Korea. 
So that will surely provoke China's security perception, as it did in 2017. Then what's going to happen? Well, China will not take military actions to those military measures. What China can do is, again, to use economic tools. And South Korea will have a hard time. What the UN government can do is to prepare for such a military economic retaliation by diversifying its uh, trade partners and also do the public campaign to South Korean people, give them a warning that we will have a hard time economically, but this is a necessary pain. So we should be prepared for that. And I like to have your support. So gathering some domestic support. And third, and more importantly, South Korea also has to request economic and diplomatic support from the U.S. in such case. North Korea security challenge will demand South Korea and the U.S. reaction with security measures. Against those security measures, China will take economic measures. Then South Korea would need cooperation and support from the U.S. economically as well. So economic measures and security measures, they should be considered as a package and they should be discussed between the U.S. and China as a package together. We cannot separate security issue and economic issue anymore. Thank you for joining us today and sharing your expertise on the incoming Yoon Suk-yeol administration's security policies toward the U.S., China, and North Korea, as you illustrated throughout the conversation. In facing the ongoing North Korea's threat and provocations, the Yoon Suk-yeol administration will take the strategic clarity, putting much more emphasis on the U.S.-South Korea alliance relationships. However, that could cause some sort of economic retaliations from China, and we hope that the Yoon Suk-yeol administration wisely addresses those economic retaliations by China. Thank you for joining the Nordic Asia podcast, showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.